This is Kenny and Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Happy Thursday. It is Kenny and Heilprin. Live in studio for the first time. Zach, good evening. Good you look evening. great. Oh, I bet. I bet. Thank you. You appreciate this face more that it's been gone the last couple of weeks. I've missed your face a lot. I bet. I think that a lot. So nobody. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. Yeah. Big, big time show today. So Wisconsin obviously loses to Iowa State last Sunday. We talked on Thursday going into the weekend about the Colgate game. It turns into Iowa State. The Badgers fall. Chucky Hepburn gets hurt. Their season ends. And now it is Miami and Iowa State in the Sweet 16. I believe that game is tomorrow. We're going to lead off the show with that. But spring practice is starting for Wisconsin football, and we have to talk about it. There was a pro day that we'll get to when the NFL draft comes around, but Wisconsin's offensive staff looks completely different. Paul Chris spoke to the media for 45 minutes, and there was a lot there, which I don't think we could usually say, and then all the offseason storylines that come with the college football offseason. But, Zach, we're starting Wisconsin versus Iowa State. And I wanted to start with, I guess, how I mentally recap the game how I decompressed after the loss immediately afterwards my initial thoughts were obviously damn they lost that sucks but then the more I think about how it happens with Chucky Hepburn getting hurt the team going I one for 21 from three I'm not counting that last one the team not being able to make a single shot from inside the paint or outside and how Iowa State played defense the more I thought about it the more I was like you know it makes sense it sucks but it makes sense. If they were going to lose, that was going to be how it happened. So I've come to peace with it. Your thoughts on how that went down? Well, no, I, I I agree with you to an extent, Like because that is who they've been all year, like a poor three-point shooting team. But they couldn't overcome the loss of Chucky. Chucky, when they were in, I think they were, statistically, when you look at the numbers of how they shot when he was in there, when they when he wasn't in there, there was a big difference. But he, he was turning the ball over, too. When he tried, like, that's the thing that probably gets lost here is they had 17 turnovers, 17. That's three more than they had all year. That's the most they've had in like a couple of years. It was a really, and you have to give credit to Iowa State, but I thought it was also, you know, worthwhile to note that Greg Gard said there were guys open. We were just trying to make the, this is him talking. We were just trying to make the home run, home run pass every single time instead of moving it around. They got greedy. They like, they, they got greedy. They wanted to take like the guy that looked open when it was really Iowa State trying to make you with that pass. So you have the, you have the turnovers. And when you combine that with going two for 22, whatever you want to say, one for 21, two for 22, whatever the heck it, it was two for 22, you're going to lose games. And the fact that they were in that game to the end, I think speaks to a pretty solid defensive performance on their part outside of Gabe Kelsher. Gabe Kelsher, the only thing, the only guy that did anything for them, Gabe Kelsher, he had 10 uh, baskets. The rest of the team had 10 baskets. So, it's, it's a tough way to go out, but it's also definitely the way I thought they would go out is shooting horribly and uh, being uncharacteristically poor with the ball. And uh, it played out the way. But if Chucky Tepper plays in that game the rest of the game, they're not losing. They do not lose that game if Chucky plays. I completely agree. As soon as he went out, even the dribble handoffs at the top of the key, which normally with Chucky Hepburn, who's a great ball handler, they they are seamless with Steven Crowell, with everybody there. As soon as he came out, whether it was Brad Davison or Johnny Davis or anybody bringing up the ball, those dribble handoffs then happened further away from the basket. And you could see the offense never really clicked. But I feel like 
and tell me if I'm crazy, I feel like we kind of saw that in the Colgate game. But Greg Gard, I noticed, called timeouts at good times that as soon as they came out of the timeout, you saw the offense settle down a little bit. I saw a little bit of the home run stuff in the Colgate game, but aside from Colgate turning into the 2017 Warriors for five minutes, Wisconsin then ended up getting back on the tracks and playing well. Defensively, it started defensively Yeah, for them against Colgate. They were pretty darn good against Iowa State defensively. Like, that was the difference between the two. Like, they were able to turn their defense into offense against Colgate, and their defense against Iowa State turned into absolute nothing (laughs) at the other end. I mean, there's nothing worse than you struggling to score, and you getting the ball up on the basket, and it's going to go in, and your guy goes up and tips it. Stephen Crowell tipping what proved to be, you know, a Brad Davison two-point basket out. Like, that, that was the type of day that they had. So, I mean, even here's the thing with, like, Chucky. Even if like Lauren Bowman was available to play in that game, I, st- I think they win it. Just because you don't have, you're down to your third string point guard, which forces it changes to go all around, and it just ends up being that type of situation. Against Colgate, you also had Johnny Davis in the second half. Like, the good Johnny Davis showed up. I, sh- I even say the good, the great Johnny Davis showed up. If Johnny Davis could shoot 40% from three, you're not going to beat Wisconsin very often. Instead of going 40% from three, four, 10, he was 0 for 7 against Arizona, uh, against uh, Iowa State. So, like, there is a lot that goes into what happened and what went wrong, but it comes back to being unable to put the ball in the hoop, whether it's Johnny Davis, Chucky Hepburn, Brad Davison, whoever it is, the inability to do that is the reason they're not playing tonight. Yeah, Wisconsin's offense before Chucky Hepburn, and Adam Rittenberg posted this, Eight of seven or got hurt. Eight of seventeen with six turnovers, which is not good, especially for his standards. No, you're right. He, he was had, turning he the ball of, over, and he had two of them. Yeah, and then after his injury, six of thirty with eleven turnovers. Yeah, I don't think they ever see. They said that they recovered, but I don't think they ever recovered. Like it felt, they felt shell shocked, and we talked about this, we talked about this week. But like they felt shell shocked, and I don't think that they ever did recover from him getting hurt. Uh, and I also think it's to be fair. Even if they won that game, like say say he he gets hurt, they still somehow find a way to win that game. They're not winning tonight. Like they're not beating Miami and Miami's backcourt. They're not. It's not going to happen. So, I mean, if that I'm trying to make you feel a little bit better, Ben, with them losing, would you of course want to at least be able to play in that game? Of course, but they weren't going anywhere. Well, then you have Hunter Chucky. Dickinson saying, and then you guys are all watching on your couches. I don't which, know. I don't know who that is. I don't blame him at all for saying it. We talked about it this morning. Mr. Irrelevant. Now I am starting to get a little more mad because you think about it. There's the crowd tipping, which may have got, probably would have gone in anyway. Or if he had waited a second, if it had gone off, he was there. Prob- it was definitely going in. Definitely going in anyway. Then you have the inexplicable Johnny Davis and one that was called a charge. That was so clearly not a charge. And that's five points. And then it's 54-54. Wisconsin loses by five. It is ridiculous that they were still in that game. I couldn't tell if it was because Wisconsin played a great defensive game. But there also was a lot of ineptitude on the Iowa State side. How many missed layups they had? How many many missed shots at the rim did they have? There were a bunch of them. They were not good offensively. They were a a poor, poor offensive team. Uh, It took a Tyrese Hunter ridiculous game on on Friday night for them to even be playing on Sunday against Wisconsin. I mean, him shooting 7-10 from threes or 7-11 from threes, the only reason they were uh, playing Wisconsin, you take him away, that's that's Wisconsin playing LSU instead. Uh, And then on on Sunday, it was Gabe Kelsher. Like, they had two guys go off one Friday night, one uh, Sunday, 
and they're in the Sweet 16. Wisconsin had a guy go off Friday, and nobody go off Saturday or Sunday. It's tough, and a lot of people are now switching this, and all of the Greg Gard haters kind of go into a cave during the year when the team succeeds, especially this year, because last summer, all the people were screaming for Gard's job after the tapes. Ever, you know, pump your brakes. Let's see how this year goes. He has Johnny Davis coming back, a bunch of young guys, and I want to say this. Whenever you lose four starters to graduation, when you have a team that is completely seniors, one of them comes back and Brad Davison, but the rest of them graduate, your team is probably going to be a little bit shallow the next year. That's how college athletics work. So we knew that they weren't going to go into this year with a tremendous amount of depth. But now people watch what happened with Wisconsin against Iowa State and Bowman's out, as you said. Chucky Hepburn gets hurt. They say, oh, Isaac Lindsay's in the game. What is he doing? Why is Jordan Davis playing, uh, what was it, 11 minutes? Why is Ben Carlson playing 12 minutes? Why is Jacoby Neath playing 22 minutes? The reason that they don't have any depth is because guard can't recruit, which is ridiculous because, number one, you needed extreme circumstances for us to even get to that point. They're trying to spin this now to say this is Greg Gard's fault because not only I, he should have been the one that hit 22 threes, maybe it would have helped the team, but now he needs to make sure he recruits to say when they do get an injury and they graduate four guys the year before, it'll be okay. Our team will be deep enough. I, I can't get the argument. Everyone is trying to flip this on guard that suddenly he is completely to blame. Who builds the roster? Greg Gard. Greg Gard. All right. So he's supposed to foresee losing the backup point guard for a month, the last month of that season, right? He's supposed to he's supposed to foresee that and plan for it. And then he's he's also supposed to foresee and plan for his starting guy to go down who's playing well over 30 minutes and being counted on because your backup is not there to go down in the game. And you're supposed to be able to throw a third, your, your third string point guard in there and just be fine? Like, that's not realistic. That's that's people that drop into college basketball for three three weeks every year and being like, what the hell is going on here? What's Why is this team not playing the way it should? This is the Big Ten champion. Well, why don't you actually understand what has happened this year, understand what happened last year in losing your starting point guard and Dmitry Trice. So you're down essentially, like, you're down that far. That's what's going to happen. You're going to have to plug and play, guys. That's that's roster building 101. Like, that, you're not going to be able to bring in three starting caliber point guards no one no one in the country no one in the country has three starting caliber point guards no uh pull right up up right now kenny underscore heilprin on twitter do the late season struggles because we can even go back to nebraska and michigan state do they change how you view greg guards 2021 22 season right now 81 percent say no and i completely agree Because even though it was an early exit in March, and even though they didn't win the Big Ten outright because they lost to Nebraska, and even though they lost to Michigan State, I still think this was probably Greg Gard's best coaching job aside from 2020 because those are both differently very tough circumstances. This year, tough because of the personnel, because of the turnover, because of the tapes, because of how strong the Big Ten is. And then 2020 was obviously different given those circumstances. I think this is maybe the best coaching job he's done. I don't think the losses are indictment on him at all, aside from one thing. And I can throw this out there, and it's a longer conversation, but I am so done with benching players automatically when they get two fouls in the first half. And I'm even more done when they get three fouls in the second half because Tyler Wall had got two fouls early, and we could talk about the officiating if you want, and then got a third one pretty early in the second half, only played 24 minutes in the game, And when Johnny Davis wasn't playing well, 
Brad Davison wasn't shooting that well. They were guarding him. Uh, they did a good job there. Started three for three and then didn't hit much else. Hepburn goes out. Who else are you going to get offense from? Tyler Wall. He's been the most consistent guy, but Greg Gard fouled him out himself by putting him on the bench. So take away that, which it's an old college basketball thing. I get it. I'm done with it. Take away that. I don't think this loss has anything to do with Greg Gard, and I still think this is probably his best coaching job at Wisconsin. You've, you've gone back and forth to 2020. Which one is it? This one. Because you said 2020 to begin that argument, and then you finished with No, they're 20. both. I, I was weighing that. I still weigh them both. I, I could make, I probably about, will argue that it's this one. What about 1516? Before your time. So, um, well, it's not really. Slightly before your time, where uh, they started out, where he took over a team that was not very good uh, early in that season when Bo Ryan stepped down. He had the one in four start to conference play. They come back and they uh, go on and, and actually really, you know, make a run to the Sweet 16. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was actually, that's a really good coaching job. I will say this year, but to your point about the, the foul situation with, with Tyler Wall, I think if they had fallen behind significantly or five, six, seven points, he would have been back in the game. But as, soon, as long as the game is close, there's no reason to put him back in. And this is great guard talking. Do you agree with that, or do you think he should play just because there's, no, there's not a whole lot of offense be, uh, going on? And Chucky was not hurt for a large stretch of that, second, that first half where, where Tyler was on the floor or uh, on the bench. Well, the game was officiated in a weird way. And in this by by officials that had done barely any Wisconsin games. Like I didn't go back and look, but none of these guys do Big Ten games on a regular basis. Um, I know that for sure. I looked that up that night. But in terms of seeing them on, on a regular basis, the, the, the game was way over officiated. Called 43 fouls. It was way over officiated. And, and, way, and if I was Iowa State, I would have been furious. Like, up, like, yes. I mean, they had two different guys pick up three fouls in the first half. Yep. So, but yes, in the way that Greg Gard will, will tell you, if it was a close game or it was a game that was getting away from Wisconsin, he would have been back in there with two fouls. But I understand where you're coming from with that. It's just, if it's close, the way that they played well in close games all year, you felt good at the end of this, at the end of the game. But in this situation, they were never able to take a lead to be able to hold on to. Which is which is kind of where they've been much of the year. It's them coming back, taking a lead, and then holding it down the stretch. That never happened. Yeah, you could point to the Nebraska and Michigan State games even where they had that lead, so the script was a little different. But this one, to answer your question, in the first half, while Chucky Hepburn's still on the court, I'm fine with him going to the bench with two fouls, given how the game's being officiated. But in the second half, and you know Hepburn's out the rest of the game, and Wall picks up his third, I can't just automatically put him on the bench. Because it was clear to me at that their offense was doing absolutely nothing. So there has been a guy, aside from Johnny Davis, that they can give the ball to and say, get me a bucket. But they couldn't do that. They couldn't. They but couldn't. The I still trust State, him to do. The way, the, Iowa, the way Iowa State was playing that, there's not a chance in heck that they were ever going to allow Tyler Wall to do that one-on-one, back his guy down, throw it up on the rim BS that he has done, that he did throughout the entire year. I shouldn't say call it BS. His effective inside offense. His, I wouldn't his, call it BS. It, it's BS. It's uh, it's <laughs> like his inside game. Just get the ball up on the rim. Ethan Hap style. Just throw it up there and lay it up there soft enough that it's going to find a way. Spin in. it up there. Find a way in. They were not going to allow that. They were doubling the post. Whoever whoever it was. Like it, it was Chris Vote, and they were doubling it. Like it just didn't matter. So there wasn't a chance he was going to be able to do that. I just thought they could have been better with the ball passing wise and, and taken advantage of Iowa State's uh, aggressiveness in how they play defense. There were opportunities to to uh, to have a lot of success 
that way, and they didn't do it. I thought that they got sped up, and it led to 17 turnovers and a really poor shooting performance. And Wall had a few as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But he also is for his for the position he plays. He is a good. He had three turnovers. He is a pretty good ball handler as well. I, I, except I just think, when he's not. Except for that time when he's not. But still, he he's a guy that's done it, and he's a big reason the team is there. Yeah. But we're going deep into this critique. It's still a small one in the grand scheme of things because Greg Gard can't shoot threes. He's not shooting. the. He's not taking the open looks. He can't yell guys into making shots. He's, he says that all the time. Bo Ryan said the same thing. I can't screen guys into making shots. So all you have to do is, you know, they practiced him. You have to believe in that routine. You have to believe in that, uh, how you, the work that you put in and then go out and, and do what you do. And, you know, a large stretch of this year, they didn't do it. it is, it's just what it is. And when it comes down to it, he's the one that put the roster together. He's the one that put those three-point shooters or those shooters into this team. And they just weren't very good for the most part of this year. So to circle back, do you think what we saw and in terms of roster construction, when you put that into it, or just in general down the stretch of the season when they beat Colgate, but they lose the other three games they play, do you think... I? Not that is it is it an indictment on guard because obviously some of it falls at the feet of the head coach, but to me in a lot of these situations, a lot of it is also on the players. Especially the game on Sunday, does it change at all how you view the job he's done this year? No, I mean it's it was a very successful season and a very disappointing March. So the first game of March, I believe, was the Purdue game. You win that one and you win a Big Ten title and everything is great. Your last four games, you went one and three, including. One in three in games decided by, uh, I don't actually take away the Colgate, Colgate was game. seven. I had oh seven and, th- and a half. They didn't oh cover. And three, oh and three in games decided by six or fewer points after winning 15 straight. That's tough. To, that's that's tough way to go out, but it also kind of evens things out. You, on the other hand, said guaranteed eight and a half. No, guaranteed. I said eight. It doesn't really matter. Eight, eight and a half does not matter. You had it guaranteed that they were going to cover that. Okay. Were it not for a last second layup? I would have been I, a garbage time layup that did not matter. Wisconsin's Actually, up it nine. It did matter. Well, it mattered. So I was wrong in how much they would exactly win by. I was wrong in that I didn't think Colgate would actually hit every impossible three they took. But I was right in that Wisconsin's defensive pressure on the perimeter eventually would make a big difference, which it did. Sure. I was wrong about the exact margin of, of victory. You guaranteed it. You, I, didn't, you didn't just say it was going to happen. You guaranteed it on the program. But it... But, I'm not. That's not the reason it was important. The reason it was important because that's also where Johnny Davis uh, messed up his ankle again on that on that last play the, when he went to try and go block Cummings, who may be a Badger next year. Who knows? Down. Um, he he uh, he redid his ankle and was not a hundred percent on Sunday. Yeah, and you can kind of tell. So worthwhile. Yes. Okay. Extremely worthwhile, especially worthwhile for. The injury and, you know, the spread of the game. All right, we're going to step away, take a quick break. Twitter poll up right now. Kenny underscore Heilprin. Do the late season struggles change how you view Greg Gard's season? Zach says, extremely successful season, disappointing March. For me, it does not change anything that was done, especially by the head coach throughout the year. When we come back, it's spring football time. And... I usually don't love Paul playing Paul Chris clips from press conferences. I cut these up good, though. Zach cut them up extremely well. <laughs> a lot of the language that's in there is f- fine-tuned so that yeah. you don't have the words thrown in. 
But he did have a lot to say, and it's been a very interesting offseason, to say the least. So we're getting into that next on Kenny and Halprin. This is Kenny and Halprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Twitter poll of Kenny underscore Halperin on Twitter. Do the late season struggles change how you view Greg Gard's 2021-2022 season? 82% still say no. So the crazy people are not flocking to this poll as I see them flock to many others. Because oh, the, the, the outrage was was infuriating, frankly. Uh, it's, it's how people go into the future and say, oh, yeah, but next year they're going to suck. They did the same thing at this time last year. Yeah. They're and then suck. They're losing five seniors. They're going to be horrible. And then Johnny Davis is pretty darn good. And last thing before we get to football, one of the biggest things about Wisconsin is player development. And Tyler Wall got a lot better. Chucky Eppern obviously comes in and makes a massive impact. Johnny Davis clear, and he did the FIBA team, but he clearly got better. Stephen Crow barely played last season. He was a big piece. Like the Red. player development was there. That it wasn't all. Oh, look at this team. They're going to suck next year. It's like oh, they also all got better. Because that's what Wisconsin basketball does. They do. That's the point of Wisconsin basketball. But in this age of the transfer portal, yeah. it has to be more than that. It can't just be recruit and develop because you're going to lose guys on a on a week to week. All right, you're going to use lose guys on your list. Where you seen it with Matthew Moore's, a guy he you would potentially not potentially throw in there and be a, a huge minute scorer, but maybe not an extra the year after. But you're not going to have that opportunity. Guys are going to see that maybe they aren't going to play until they're juniors or seniors, and they're going to hop in the transfer portal and go elsewhere. And that's why it's so important for Wisconsin this offseason to attack, uh, attack the transfer portal more, even more so than they did last year. We know what they need, right? We know that they need some athleticism at wing to replace Johnny, and we know they desperately need some guards that can shoot the ball. Shooting. That's it. I mean, yeah. that's what it is. And they and probably take another big to replace to maybe be uh, the backup to Stephen Crowell, kind of like Chris Vogt was. They've, they're going to have scholarships available to do that. And I envision them them doing that. And it's easier said than done because there's so much competition for these guys. But what Wisconsin has to offer has to be pretty enticing. Playing time, especially for guys that can actually hit some outside shots. And obviously the success of Johnny Davis plays in where they have that chip to throw in and say, you would hey, hope. Yeah, you would hope. If like if you can be good this good, you can clearly be featured. Luckily, I guess kind of luckily, we're still semi in the age of COVID in terms of recruiting that there, the transfer portal is not close to empty. There are still a lot of guys that, and there's been, it's been a tumultuous couple years, but it is loaded still because of that extra year of eligibility and all the changes. I don't think it's going to matter. I think it's going to be loaded every single year, especially without, without having to sit out. Well, I would still say this year, maybe more so because sure. guys you, have extra have eligibility. Guys. Well, that's going to be the case for the next four years, right? right? Because you, even guys that were freshmen last year, got an extra got that extra year it just it doesn't matter like <laughs> whether uh covid affected your team or not you still got that extra year and you could be looking at this and what 2024 2025 guys that were freshmen last year that you know didn't play but that year still didn't count then they redshirt you could have like six-year guys playing in 2025 26 yeah well there's actually and this is what they call a segue in the business there's a cornerback wisconsin got in the transfer portal named justin clark from toledo do you know what year this is for him in college of course i do well yeah i know you do i want you to say <laughs> it it is year number seven 
for Justin Clark. I saw he was in the same recruiting class as Wisconsin, that Wisconsin took in that year. Tyler Biotish, Quintez Cephas, Eric Burrell. It was a hell of a 2015 class, man. Excuse me, a 2016 class. So there, he is one of the big additions. Wisconsin got this offseason in the transfer portal. But first, the offensive staff. So Palker spoke to the media this week revamped completely revamped only one guy in the same spot the most we've seen since paul chris has been at wisconsin year to year by far they obviously the big story and it kind of plays into a different story but bobby engram hired as offensive coordinator and we learn he will also coach quarterbacks you have al johnson hired recently to coach running backs with gary brown stepping away and into a different role uh due to health issues Alvis Witted still at wide receivers. You have Chris Herring moving from special teams to tight ends. And then the other move that was talked about a lot, Bob Bostad from the defensive Bostad from the defensive side of the ball to offensive line. So I ask you first, and there are a lot of big picture things we could ways we could go with this, but your initial takeaway from, because we knew the guys that were hired and Al Johnson was added, but your initial takeaways from, where they were divided up, Bobby Ingram at quarterbacks, where they all slotted in, and how you think Paul Christ looked at it. Well, I was just going to say that when he talked about this after the bowl game, he was asked, like, how big of a change, how big of an offseason is this going to be? Is there going to be a significant change, that type of thing? And he didn't know at the time. And he probably wasn't expecting to have new offensive coaches across the board except for one position. The only person still in the same position he was last year is Alvis Wooded, the wide receivers coach. Everyone else was doing a different job last year, whether it was from outside of the program or inside the program. That speaks to how poor the, I mean, and again, you can take issue with the positions that they filled with certain guys, you could do whatever you want. But it's clear, and Paul Chris admitted to it the other day, they were not good enough offensively last year. And that's what these changes are about. And really, it's not even just last year. It's the year before as well. I mean, most of these guys, I mean, the, you know, uh, Gary Brown was new last year, but everyone else had been uh, brought over from the year before. There needed to be a change. And so whether you agree or not with the change were, that were made, changes were made, and that's we'll see how they work out. But in terms of... These guys, I was a little bit surprised, yes, that uh, a guy who's never coached quarterbacks before in Bobby Ingram, who coached tight ends and wide receivers, both at uh, Baltimore and then also with Pitt, at Pitt with Paul Christ, is coaching quarterbacks. That kind of caught me off guard. I thought Chris Herring uh, was going to stay at special teams. Instead, he's coaching tight ends, uh, a a spot that he hasn't coached before. Like, these are – I feel like he's looking at Bob Bostad and saying – well, he play, he coached. He never coached inside linebackers before. And then when we threw him over there, turned how many inside linebackers into all Americans? Pretty like, good core. It was pretty darn good. So maybe we can uh, do it again. Al Johnson, a run, an offensive lineman, a head coach, yes, but never had coached running backs. Had certainly seen a lot of great ones during his time at Wisconsin and in the NFL. But he's now coaching running backs. Like there are. This is a different way to go about it. And I I have reservations with it. But I also look at Paul Chris and say, ever, almost every assistant he's hired, it worked out. Almost every, he's been great at hiring assistant coaches. Look at the assistant coaches he brought in. Almost all of them have worked out very, very well. And so it's hard to sit here and say he's wrong before ever seeing what it's going to look like. Yeah, my big question overall was Al Johnson being hired as running backs coach, but not necessarily to criticize, but to wonder 
what Paul Chris must have seen. But at the same time, he has been in the program before in his case that Paul Chris definitely knows what he what he brings to the table and can project, say, hey, he'll be good at running backs. It's not like a guy that is from a random D2 school that has never been to Wisconsin before, which Paul Chris wouldn't hire that guy. Of course. But it's not a guy that... Yes, he is coaching a position he hasn't coached before and didn't play, but it's also someone that's been there before, so Chris would know in theory what he could bring. Of the hires, the only ones that he had not worked with before is Bill Sheridan, the inside linebackers coach. He's worked he worked with Bobby before. Obviously he worked with Al Johnson before. I mean he was actually twice. I mean, Al Johnson was an offensive lineman when Paul Chris was the tight ends coach here back in the early two thousands. And then also um, you know, they when he was a GA and working with the offensive lineman a couple of years ago or five years ago. Uh, so they have that experience, but Paul Chris usually not going to hire guys that he's not familiar with, um, or trust that, uh, people that he knows aren't familiar with. And with Bill Sheridan was him being familiar with Bob Bostead and having worked with him. And, and now obviously being comfortable throwing him into the inside linebacker position, but it's a, it's a, it's a different group. Yeah. It's interesting. My overall perspective on it, especially the offensive side is, Change change is good. Like if you lack self-awareness and if you try to go attack the same problems with the same methods and solutions when for a couple of years it didn't work, I think change is good. And I trust at this point the people in positions to hire and the people around them to have to, for the, for all the people that were brought in to have success. I I'm I'm really happy that they went different directions obviously some of it was out of their control with joe rudolph going to virginia tech or was it but (laughs) you know there were a lot of dominoes had to fall but the way it shakes out i am happy that their self-awareness is there of saying you know what the offense was for the large part our downfall the last couple years we probably need to approach this a little differently large part i guess probably the you could throw you could throw special teams in there too if you wanted to no it's probably the okay i mean you mean there, there. You can. I mean, special teams certainly plays a role, and that's another part of this. There's no uh, guaranteed special team, or not guaranteed, but a full time special teams coach. That was a layup joke. I saw many make the comment of, "Oh, a, a team with subpar special teams decides to not have a special teams coach," and then they say, "Oh, the state of Wisconsin knows a lot about special teams." I don't get it. Projecting it to the Packers and oh, because they're horrible. Their special teams were atrocious, and they went out and hired a very high-profile special teams coordinator, Paul yep. Chris, attacking it in a different way. <laughs> Look, Which, I've been, we'll I, I have been a huge proponent of getting rid of the special teams coach. I, I don't understand it, especially watching him during practice. Yeah, there's no reason for a special teams coach. They have analysts that work with the kickers. They have analysts that work with it. Just, just it just didn't make any sense. So, I, I don't know about Chris Herring as the ends coach. Well, I guess we'll see how that plays out, we'll but uh, yeah, no, you, you mentioned doing the same thing over and over again. And what is that? That's the definition of insanity, insanity right? Except doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. This is t- certainly taking it a different way. I think a lot of people would have been like, go out and hire the best running backs coach you possibly can go back and go out and hire a uh, offensive coordinator. That's called plays before and, and try and change things up. Paul Christ on the other hand, going the opposite way with that, going out and hiring an offensive line coach. That's get a coach running backs and an office coordinator that's never called plays before. And we'll be sending the play in here. Um, so that's, I mean, that's all part of this. There are so many questions, this, that I can't wait to see how it plays out. And we will not have, and, and what changes does Bobby Ingram bring to this as well? Like what kind of different ideas does he bring? Like, this is all so very like interesting and we're not going to have a great answer on it probably until September. 
And uh, so we have a lot of time to talk about it. Paul Chris is definitely going to call plays, I feel like. He told... I feel like no matter what the talk is in the offseason, we're going to get to week one, and then I it's just going to be, oh, Paul Chris is back calling plays, sweep right, power uh, left. I, I, I think Bobby Ingram is going to get the nod to call plays this year. I think... Really? I would love it. I'm pretty confident that he's going to be calling plays this year. Huh. So part of a big story, the biggest storyline, in my opinion, on the offensive side, minus one that is more personnel based. But in terms of these coaches is what does Bobby Ingram bring to the offense? Because mm-hmm. all the talk in the offseason was I revolutionize was a common word. I I used it a little bit, but w- what concepts and how does he make the offense better? And because he, he said during his press conference when he started that, you know, they're not going to get away from Wisconsin football. They're not going to go away from the strengths of the program and the reason the program has been so successful. But what could he bring that changes things aside from hopefully helping Graham Mertz have a better year? But that's what it all comes down to. You can't have a great off. You can't have a championship level offense if your quarter if you can't count on your quarterback. And the biggest thing out of that is counting your quarterback not to turn the ball off. And Paul, that was one of the things that Paul Chris mentioned in talking about Graham Mertz was we need him to take better care of the ball, whether it's interceptions, whether it's strip sacks, whether it's handing the ball off to your running back. Like those are all things that you have control over. And uh, he didn't do a very good job of it last year. And it wasn't just him. Chase Wolf was Wolf as well uh, right. with that with that ability. So, but anyway, can Graham Mertz has the ability? to be a great quarterback. I don't care. And you can laugh at your radios right now. You can laugh at your screens. You can whatever you want to do. Graham Mertz has every ability to be a great quarterback. He needs to put it together. He's, he's got the arm to do it. He's got the um, mind to do it. He's got the feet to do it. He's athletic enough. He's smart enough. Like he's got everything to do it. It needs to click obviously, but he's got everything in him to be a great quarterback of Wisconsin physically as gifted as any quarterback's been here since Russell Wilson. I'm not going to go down that route. Physically, definitely. I what no, you, what no I'm not going to no, disagree. Go for it. Go no, for it. I'm not going to disagree with anything you just, just said. Just say, go disagree. What do you got? Jack Cohn had a good arm. Give me a break. He's got a <laughs> 10 times better arm than Jack Cohn. Jack Cohn cannot make every throw. I'm, I'm mostly joking. No, he, he I, I do believe completely what you just said. What I need Ingram to. I can't to, wait till Jack Cohn does not get drafted and you have to just absolutely hold all of this in your, in your stomach. And people are just going to kill you. No, he's going to get drafted. And I'll be at the top. If he doesn't, though, <laughs> I've saved every single one of your tweets about Jack Cohn getting drafted. That's I cannot, tough. And I cannot wait. You saved all of them? I cannot. I bookmarked them all. And I cannot <laughs> wait. If somehow, some way, he doesn't get drafted, I think he will get drafted. I do. But if he doesn't, oh, my goodness. Whoa. I would have fun with it, too. You the know excite- what I would do? The excitement level it's off It's the that. easiest way out of, out of any subpart take. You post the video of... You have a lot of them then. The UConn coach saying I effed up, write it, and then you're done. You move on. I won't let you out of that easy. All right. We'll see. We'll see. He better get drafted. <laughs> Bobby Ingram, though. So I there was something over the last couple of years, and this might be going a little bit too deep in the weeds, but I there seemed to be take away the offensive line struggles and take away at times the wide receiver struggles. There was a lack of getting the best players the football. And during the games against the poor defenses, I think they did a good job of it. But still, there were times where we're still in the old run, first down, run, second down, third down. Everyone run to the sticks. Maybe there's one more route there that I 
I needed to see more because now I, I think it's undeniable that Shamara DK is the number one on this team and is in line for a really good year if Graham Mertz can get him the football. I need better ways to get those players the ball except for 10-yard out, 10-yard out, 7-yard, you know? Here's the problem with that, though. You have to trust your quarterback to be able to use those other things. We have to trust your offensive line to block for him, too. That's my biggest storyline of the offseason, aside from Graham Mertz. Yes. Maybe more than. No, not more than. Your quarterback is the most important position in sports. If your quarterback isn't any good or if you can't trust your quarterback to make certain throws and deliver the ball where it needs to be, your offense just is not going to run the way it needs to. Uh, For a long time, Wisconsin's offensive line was able to overcome the inability of their quarterback to do such a thing. Until 2019. 2019, they went up and down the field. With because they went up and down the field because they, they also had a guy that did Jonathan Taylor not exist in 20. Okay. I know. Right. It was a joke. You keep on bringing up Jack Cohn. This is going to hit you right in the face. Just get, <laughs> you're you're going to be hurting. I, I, I'm marking down these these clips where you just throw Jack Cohn in there. It's going to be amazing. But right. no, uh, yes, until 2019, until they had the great Jack Cohn behind center. Forget what he did or didn't do in 2018 when he looked horrible. But, um, you know, like in 2019, yes, the offense was, was pretty darn good. And it has a lot to do with trusting your quarterback to be able to make throws. Has a lot to do with having Quintez Cephas and uh, and Jonathan Taylor. When you have great players, you can find ways to get them the ball. And they did last year. They didn't have an, an off. Twenty twenty didn't have a great offensive line. Last year didn't have a great offensive line. They could not overpower. No, the better teams, and so you were forced to make. Graham Mertz was forced to make plays, and for the most part, especially early in the season, against Michigan, against Penn State, against Notre Dame, he didn't do it. Yep. Now, uh, in terms of Ingram, my hope, my hope for this year is his time in Baltimore, which is, has been a great offense in the NFL, especially when Lamar's been under center. But even when they threw Tyler Huntley in there, like they have been a really successful offense for a while. I would hope, and, and they've also done a great job at maximizing their different quarterback strengths. Because when Joe Flacco was gone, and then Lamar Jackson came in, obviously very different quarterbacks. Yep. The offense looked a lot different too. So my hope is his experience in a building where that happened, he could also come into the building with ideas of the, this is our offense strengths. And everybody who knows a thing about football knows what Wisconsin does, but this is what we could do to maximize those players. Cause I mean, Graham Mertz is obviously more Joe Flacco than Lamar Jackson, but just the concepts that he has seen ha- play out in in Baltimore because it's been successful there, no doubt. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, coming up next, the biggest offseason storyline. You mentioned Graham Mertz, but I also want to talk about the position battles because we're not going to see them decided in the spring, but there are positions that faced a lot of turnover or struggled last season that we're going to need to see how they play out as the summer comes along. That's coming up next on Kenny and Halprin. This is Kenny and Halprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. And Ohio print biggest storylines, Wisconsin football, 2022 off season. So we talked about Graham Mertz in the last segment and I, his development is obviously the biggest thing. And I'm going to throw a Twitter poll up right now. Kenny underscore Ohio print Graham Mertz year three, 
the one that I want to talk about, because I think next to Graham Mertz is by far the most important, more than anything on the defense, the battles at offensive line. And then you have the transfers coming in in the secondary, and then your new faces at inside linebacker, outside linebacker, wide receiver, even the guys that are stepping up there. So Graham Mertz, I, I think it goes without saying, Graham Mertz's development is the most important thing to the offense being better because when he, as you said, takes care of the football, when he is able to move the ball down the field, and especially in the red zone, because last year Wisconsin was situationally horrible. When they when they were in the red, look at the Penn State game, and that was obviously one end of the spectrum, but they just handed the ball away in the red zone. That's uh, It is on Graham Mertz and the rest of the team, but mostly him to finish those drives. He is number one. But the offensive line is really interesting to me because Tyler Beach comes back after what was not his best season. Uh, Logan Bruss moves on. You have Jack Nelson, who had a tremendous year last year. You have Logan Brown, who could be waiting in the wings at one of the tackle spots. You have some guys that have experience, and Joe Tittman played a lot of center last year. It's a weird grouping, but there is, I in the room itself, it probably is the most talent it's had in a very long time, star-wise, right? Nolan Rucci is fr- further down. A lot of star recruiting talent. A lot of paper talent. Yes, but I am, uh, and it's Bob Bostad's first year coaching them. You can do it. I figure. I, I know you can do this. Bostad? Yes. Okay, I'll get there. You will. It's Coach Bo. Coach Bo. Easy. Oh, when Paul Chris said, oh, yeah, me and Bo. I really hope that conversation happened on email and there are receipts of it somewhere. It'd be said, amazing, but it, it was like a five-second conversation. It just it took longer for him like, to get the question out before they actually decided like he was going to move back over. So, so Paul Christ relayed this conversation on Monday to us, and he said, if you know me and you know Bo, it wasn't a long conversation. <laughs> I asked him, do you think you're still a good line coach? Yeah, I think I am. Do you want the job? I think I do. All right. So there he goes. He goes from inside linebackers back over to the offensive line, the line that he led from 2008 to 2011. And if you look at some of the names that were on those lines, the 2010 line, the 2011 line, considered among the best in Wisconsin history. And I don't know if this this group can be that, but they recruited to that level to the point where this is where this is why he's back there and why people are so excited that he's back there. People can call for him to be back there for a long time because offensive line coaches, and specifically Joe Rudolph as an offensive coordinator, people got tired of it, and they blamed him for everything. Um, and so now he's no longer there to to blame. Well, I, I didn't necessarily blame him. I I thought... I wasn't talking about you blaming him. Oh, you gave me a little people. point. I was talking about... Oh, it's valid. It's valid. I th- there might have been a little bit there, but I hope that conversation happened on like their AOL emails and there's some <laughs> receipt of it. It's like you think you're a good line coach? Yes. You want the job? Yes. Good. And then that's it. But it's it's an interesting spot because when I looked back at their four losses last year, in each of them, one of the biggest factors behind the, them losing and the Penn State game I get. It's their first game back. There isn't a lot of cohesion, but they really struggled, especially early. I thought that played into Graham Mertz struggling because he took some huge hits where they, he had guys open. He just didn't have a second to get him the football. So, and he looked kind of sped up. He looked like he, he wasn't comfortable back there. That was because the Penn State linebackers and defensive line did a great job putting pressure on him and they sacked him a lot. But go all the way through the season – they started playing really well. They had a great game against Purdue. Then you go to the Minnesota game, and I, it's somewhat of the same story. The running game wasn't able to really yes. get going, and Graham Mertz got pressured. It's, to me, the biggest factor, because when Wisconsin won, yes, 
a lot of the defenses they beat were lesser than the defenses they lost to. But the offensive line played well in the wins and in the losses. It was one of the huge factors behind the offense, really not scoring the football or for some games, really even moving it. Yeah, no, it's it goes back to the inability to run the ball. Right. Those first three games against Penn State, against Michigan and uh, against Notre Dame and even you can throw Army in there, too. The inability to run the ball affected them. The only game that they ran the ball well was the Eastern Michigan game of the first month, first month and change. Yeah. It wasn't until they went to Illinois and really started handing the ball to the guy wearing number zero that it started to be different. And some of that is the offensive line coming together, and some of it is having an absolute beast in the backfield. And he got run down towards the end of the year, and I think that's plays a part of it against Minnesota. But when they started to be able to run the ball, the passing game started to look okay. Graham Mertz looked damn good. Yes. So that, to me, is, is where it is with him. And that's been the way with Wisconsin all the time. If they're able to run the ball, if they're able to have success in the run game, well, then all of a sudden the play-action game becomes something, and the passing game becomes something, because you cannot just sit back there and uh, uh, tee off on guys. like Teams like Penn State, Michigan, they were able to tee off on uh, Graham Mertz because they were not afraid of the running game. And for that to happen at Wisconsin... I don't want to say it's, it's blasphemous, but it's, no, it's, it's it's pretty darn close. It is close. So that can't happen, and I don't envision that happening. I do envision changes along, along the line. Uh, they open practice this week, right? We don't. Uh, the media doesn't actually get to go and walk into a practice until next Tuesday, but I expect that offensive line to look different than it did even at the end of last year. Even with the guys you have coming back that you mentioned before, it will not be the same group. So I read something today. And I hadn't heard it anywhere else. It popped out to me from Evan Flood at 24-7 Sports. Uh, Jack Nelson could be moving back to tackle. Well, you should be listening to the camp more often then because we were talking about that after the season. Uh, last year. I missed uh, that episode. I apologize. Last year, at the end of last year, uh, I, I know that it was talked about that Logan Bruss, not last year, before the year, was given an opportunity to decide which place he wanted to play. Because hmm. he had played left guard the year before. Yep. Excuse me, right guard the year before. He had played right tackle the year before. He was given the option of where he wanted to play, and he said right tackle. And so when the spot for right tackle was was filled, and so Jack Nelson moved into right guard. I will be shocked, shocked, if Jack Nelson is any place other than left tackle or right tackle. And if I had to pick a spot today, I'd say left tackle. So Tyler Beach, who's back. I think he can play guard. Uh, a spot that he has played before. I think he may be better suited for guard. So there is a way we go into the year with Logan Brown, former five-star recruit, not on the starting offensive line. I think there's a, again. This is all projection. It's March 24th. Yeah, it is. I have yet to see a spring practice, but if I were to say right. it right now. At this point. At this point, I think there's a very good chance that he is not out there. Huh. Which, hmm, that's, that's some. I don't think it's a, I certainly don't think it's an indication. I don't think it's an indictment on, Wisconsin. Right. Yeah, no. For, well, I remember seeing him in the Wake Forest Dukes Mayo Bowl. At right tackle. You uh, saw, at left tackle, excuse me. And you saw the the run blocking was ferocious. But then the the pass protection, the first step was maybe a little slow. And, and you could see some of the inconsistency there, as well as the health, which they've talked about a lot. We got to step away. We are way late for a break. More Kenny and Halperin. Final segment coming up next. This is Kenny and Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network.
we're back before we get out of here. Kenny and Heilprin, we'll be back next Thursday. I'm sure. So one thing I forgot to talk about tonight, and I, I can fit it in in the next 30 seconds before we get off air. Uh, weight changes is probably one of my favorite parts of the offseason, as is hand size at the NFL Combine. Uh, because I, weight changes, uh, you do take some things of note, but it's funny when everyone tweets out, oh, yeah, this guy gained this amount of pounds. But, Zach, Deacon Hill is 262 pounds. And I had to follow, a quarterback. I had to follow up and ask if that was accurate. And I got a, yeah, back from from UW. So like, uh, uh, yeah, it's a lot. I, but I've seen him in some of these videos. He doesn't look that big. Like he doesn't look 262. We'll get to see on Tuesday exactly what that looks like. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a little big. All right, we're out of here. We'll talk to you next Thursday. See ya. Kenny and Heilprin. Thursdays from 6 to 7 and on demand at madcitysportszone.com.